The following was originally broadcast on Northumberland 89.7 FM. For more podcasts and learn more about us, go to northumberland897.ca. And thank you for downloading this podcast. The information given is designed to be informative and helpful. You should always consult a professional when buying or selling your home. This is Reality Realty on Northumberland 89.7 FM. I'm Dale Bryant, and I'm a real estate broker with Royal LePage Pro Alliance Realty Brokerage. Did you know less than 1% of the water supply on Earth can be used as drinking water? Did you know our bodies are approximately 60 to 70% water? Our brains approximately 75% water, our lungs nearly 90%, and our blood about 82%. It's an incredibly important resource and we just can't live without it. In a few moments, we will have Senior Environmental uh, environmental Specialist and Hydrogeologist Dave Workman join us in the studio and our topic today is titled Enough About Wells and Well Water to Quench Your Thirst. We'll be looking at the basics in well information and well and well water issues, and it wouldn't be fair to leave you with issues alone, so we'll be providing some solutions as well. well. So let's get down to business here with our September 12, 2019 snapshot. And snapshot is a look at today's residential real estate market here in Northumberland County. There have been 139 single-family residential sales over the past month, and that's down one sale since last week's report. It leaves us with an increasing inventory of 528 residential listings for sale. Average selling price of successful sales over the past year is up by approximately $2,000 from last week's report, and it now is at $439,000. During the past year, people have received on average approximately 98% of the list price in a market time of 47 days. Northumberland County, we are still in a seller's market with an absorption rate at approximately 26% based on the past month's sales trend, and that simply means we have a residential home inventory that can satisfy approximately 3.8 months of sales at the rate homes have been selling. I research these Northumberland County statistics and I calculate the absorption rate using information from CoreLogic's matrix system. And matrix is a local realtor component of the MLS system. If you're thinking of buying or selling a home in the future, you'll want this information and you want it to be area specific. You'll want it to be specific to the property type you're dealing with and the price band it's in. So talk to your local realtor and they can help you understand the information that's most relevant to you. Today's mortgage rates have stayed steady since last week's report. Five-year fixed is still as low as 2.59% and a five-year variable as low as 2.85%. And as always, some conditions do apply. Today's mortgage rates come to us from mortgage broker Carol Ann Bryant with Dominion Lending Centers Alliance. 
And folks, that is your current snapshot of the residential real estate market in Northumberland County. Just a reminder that the views and opinions expressed on Reality Realty or any of the articles presented do not necessarily represent the views and opinions of the station, of the Northumberland Hills Association of Realtors, or of any other real estate brokerage or realtor. They're simply our views and opinions at this time. As I mentioned earlier in the show, our show today is entitled Enough About Wells and Well Water to Quench Your Thirst. And any complaints about my corny titles, uh, please send to the station manager. And our guest today has over 30 years of practical hydrogeological, geotechnical, environmental, and material testing experience throughout Ontario. He has worked with developers, contractors, conservation authorities, municipalities, and now he is working with Reality Realty. We have... Dave Workman, Senior Environmental environmental Specialist and Hydrogeologist. Welcome to the show, Dave. Thank you, Dale. Thank you for having me. Yeah, and, and so, I mean, every now and again, we have a lot of credentials here in the show, and, and so I guess... I guess the fluff is off for today. <laughs> yes, the fluff is off, yes. Yeah, pretty serious, uh, pretty serious topic we're covering. Now, you work for uh, a company called GHD. That's right. Can you explain what GHD does? Well, GHD is basically a, a civil engineering company. Um, it's basically based out of Australia originally. Mm -hmm. um, they've moved into the North American market, and we now have uh, approximately 30,000 employees worldwide. Um, I operate out of an office out of Whitby, but also out of Peterborough as well. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and so you've done a lot of work right in Northumberland County? That's correct. Yeah. My background is we, uh, I was involved in a small uh, organization called Geologic that people may be more familiar with that was established in 1988, and they were subsequently bought out by a number of firms, more recently became part of the GHD family. Right. Okay. So... Dave, today we're going to do wells, well water. We'll start off basic, and then we'll get into some more specific issues. Um, maybe you can start by just explaining what a well is and, and what the different types of wells are. Sure. And before that, mm -hmm. if people, if they hear the term hydrogeology, they may, may ask, like, what is that? Well, that really is the study of groundwater. Right. So you're, you're the right guy here. Hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. Okay. <laughs> we'll, <laughs> we'll know at the end of the show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but that's where you judge me. Anyway, uh, so a well basically is any hole in the ground that will encounter or produce groundwater. So locally, there's two different types of wells. There are shallow, bored, or dug wells, and then deeper drilled wells. So the, uh, the dug wells are just like uh, the description infers, they're holes in the ground that were dug either by hand or by a backhoe or an excavator. And they're typically uh, limited in depth to maybe 20 or 30 feet. Although throughout my experience, I have come across some dug wells that were pretty amazing in construction. I had one locally that was actually brick lined and it went down like 60 feet. And I mean, when you look down it, it was, straighter is a straighter and a die so yeah. so based on the age of that well too you got to wonder how did they actually construct that and it would have been basically hit by hand um, using a bucket brigade basically somebody down the hole mm -hmm. nowadays you can't you wouldn't be able to do that so it's no. really interesting when you look at the history because we have health and safety 
totally. That's uh, right. Rules that would keep us out of that job. I exactly, yeah. exactly. Now, board wells, um, so it's also a large diameter well, uh, and basically constructed by boring machines, which are drill rigs that are fitted with great big augers. And they're typically anywhere from two to four, maybe six feet in diameter. And they're limited in depth too. You can basically go down about 50, 60 feet. They're typically lined with either a concrete tile or a corrugated steel tile as well. Mm -hmm. And um, it's, it's difficult to seal the top part of them. Um, but they're, but they're, they are common well in this area. And I'd say the by uh, the most um, co common well is a drilled well. So that's when you see a steel casing, usually six or eight inches in diameter protruding out of the ground. Mm -hmm. And uh, its depth limitation is basically limitless. You can go down several hundred feet. And they're actually properly sealed too. Current regulations require the top 20 feet to be sealed mm -hmm. um, from any type of uh, surface contamination. And when I say seal is uh, the space between the, the, the well casing um, and the borehole itself, when they advance the well, will be filled with some sort of impermeable material. Mm -hmm. And typically you'll hear the term bentonite. And bentonite is a man-made product um, of, uh, of clay material that will expand when introduced with water, and it'll actually provide a watertight seal. And that's, that's on the outside of the steel casing, between the outside of the steel casing and the ground. That's correct. Right. That's okay. correct. And... Uh, so you talk about that uh, dug well with bricks. I just recently seen it for the first time myself. Um, I just sold a, a home this summer and it had a dug well and it was brick lined and it looked, it looked really well constructed. Yeah, so something I'd never seen before. And, and now you say board wells are very common. I don't run across a board well very often. Well, you may, but you may not recognize it as okay. a board well. Um, if you see concrete tile sticking out of the ground, yeah, more often than not, that is from a board well. Okay. And those concrete tile, again, can be anywhere from two feet in diameter to as big as six feet in diameter with a concrete lid on it as well. So, so a dug well lid and a board well lid are not going to look any different? They can look similar. Yeah. They can look similar. And of course, bear in mind the age of construction too, Dale. So if it is an older type well, then they're going to use the material at the time. and Or they may have just covered it completely with, with concrete. So it may not give the round configuration. It could be square. It could be rectangular. Yeah, who knows? Yeah. And, and so if I'm looking, if I lift the lid of a well and uh, of a, a, a concrete lid of a, of a well, and I look down there and it looks to be, I'm, I'm thinking maybe two and a half, three feet. Uh, I am looking at a... What I would suggest you do too is have a flashlight yeah. so you can actually see the sidewalls on mm -hmm. the inside of the well. And if it does look like it's round, mm -hmm. I would say, then, then I would suspect that it's a board well. Support well, okay. In, in addition, if you can look deeper too, Dale, you should be able to see like... Um, joints within because yes. they're basically c concrete tile much what they use for stormwater um, systems too right so right, they just up against the other. exactly just stacked yeah. with with no sealant around the outside uh, well the sealant they have to s provide a sealant of bentonite within the top 10 feet uh, for that and okay. there is a sealant it's a rubber membrane they put in kind of like a gasket between the tiles okay 
things things you wouldn't know just looking at uh, at a well. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Now the the other thing is you said how to recognize these wells, but every now and again you'll get a drilled well drilled in the center of a previously bored or dug well, won't you? Sometimes that that occurs. Um, if it's a more recent well, that won't occur just mm-hmm. because of safety reasons. And when you're drilling inside a, a bored well, um, the uh, drilling contractor really doesn't have the ability to, to seal that top 20 feet inside a bored or dug well. Right, yeah, because that's just exposed to the air of that uh, cavity. That's correct. Yeah. yeah, that's correct. And there's a safety issue there too. You can imagine um, these drill rigs are pretty heavy machines and when they put their mast up, like their masts are about 30 feet high, it's a fair bit of weight so they have to put in stabilizer bars at the rear end of the truck and that's going to correspond to where they're drilling. So mm-hmm. if they're setting up over top of a, a board well or a, a dug well, it can be quite unstable. Right, okay. Artesian wells. Most people have heard the word artesian well before. What does that mean? Well, an artesian well is a well that has flowing groundwater conditions. So whenever you advance a borehole for a well in the ground, inevitably you're looking for groundwater. And when you hit groundwater, it's always under pressure. Um, Now, if that, that, that means that the water level will actually rise up in the hole. And if that pressure goes above the ground, then you get a flowing well condition. So mm-hmm. some ways to counteract that is you can actually, when you're done constructing the well, you can raise the, the casing above the ground. That's why you'll see sometimes um, the casings will be quite high. They'll be like two, three, four, five feet above the ground. Mm-hmm. And, and most likely that's because they're trying to counteract the artesian flow. Now there are regulations with the Ministry of Environment, Conservation and Parks that stipulate that the the well drilling contractor he has to he has to control that flow somehow so that could be either just providing a higher stick up of the of the mm-hmm. well casing or to put in some sort of valving or plug seal that he can actually turn Re- that flow off r- regulate the flow exactly yeah which would be then you're then you're depending on something mechanical Correct. Which isn't as ideal, right? It, is, it isn't as ideal, yeah, no. Yeah. no. So you've mentioned a few wells here, Dave. You've mentioned the, the deep, the shallow, the drilled, the bored, the dug, artesian. What's the best type of well to have? So in my opinion, it's you can't get away from the advantages of a drilled well. The drilled well is by far the best type of, of well. And they typically... If I can just back up and talk about aquifers, aquifers are um, where we get the groundwater from. And in Northumberland here, we're blessed with numerous types of aquifers. It could be um, surface water, which is the saturated uh, area um, close to the ground surface. It can be um, buried gravel layers within the overburden or soil material. And then we've got saturated bedrock fractures too in the bedrock. So a drilled well can actually tap the more deeper types of uh, aquifers, meaning tap uh, buried sand or gravel or the bedrock. So they have a lot more 
uh, flexibility with them and because you can seal the top 20 feet too again I just keep repeating that mm -hmm. that means that you know you're not going to have any disinfection issues in the future you're not going to have um, uh, problems with quantity in regards to ground uh, groundwater fluctuation because if we step back again and just discuss the shallow water table um, that goes up and down for, for quality of water. Well, quantity, I'm thinking. Quantity. Yeah. Quantity of water. So, okay. so if you can imagine, um, the water table is at its shallowest point in two times during the year, in the spring and in the fall. So in the spring, you've got increased snow melt, you've got increased rainfall. So you're going to have a lot more shallow of a water table. In the fall, similarly, we get a lot of rain in the fall as well too, right? And mm -hmm. so you're going to have a fair bit of um, shallow water at that time too. In the summer months in the, and in the winter months, those are our dry seasons. So if you're tapping that top saturated soil layer and people are experiencing quantity problems, wells going dry or de decreased water, that's why, because mm -hmm. it's actually tapping that upper part. Now, if you use a drilled well and it's down at a deeper depth, the confined layers of buried gravel, sand and bedrock, they're not subjective to that type of fluctuation in the groundwater. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> if you're buying a house and you just mentioned your personal preference, what you think is typically uh, the best type of well being a drilled, if you saw a house you liked and it had a dug well or a bored well, would there be any reason to have a hesitation uh, because of that type of well? To, to purchase? Uh, hesitation, I'd say yes, but you know, it doesn't mean you're going to slam the door and look somewhere else. Like yeah. you just need to do a little bit more homework. Um, you have to look at sources of contamination because uh, the same reason I mentioned about the uh, fluctuation in the, in the water table uh, for shallow wells, like a board and dug well, mm -hmm. the same type of concern can be raised when you're looking at shallow sources of contamination, like a septic system, Mm -hmm. um, say a manure pile if you're out in the country, um, the use of fertilizers and pesticides, those type of things can actually get into a shallow water system. And so you just need to be aware of that and just realize that that could be a concern and it just has to be addressed. Water flows right. downhill. It doesn't flow uphill. Right. So, so what you're trying to do is you're looking at the grade of the lot and if the well is upslope or upgradient of those sources of contamination, then I wouldn't be concerned. Right. If it's downgradient, then then I would I would actually be a little bit more concerned. And what you could do is you could you could do some uh, water quality testing mm -hmm. in the well and try to find uh, the history of the well, whether it's through a well record. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And and you mentioned aquifers. And, and here in Northumberland County, like you said, w we have a lot of aquifers here because we also know that because if there's a vacant land and somebody wants to build on it, it, it quite often the uh, Conservation Authority will say no because of uh, different types and, and, and amounts of aquifers in that ground and, and it, they want to pr protect them. Um, but it makes me think aquifers, and you even talked about, you know, more shallow waters on the ground, um, would that be tied into wetlands at all? Uh, Canada having in this this area having so much wetland? Yeah, somewhat because basically wetlands are formed by groundwater discharge. That means mm -hmm. groundwater that breaks out to the surface 
And typically that happens in low-lying areas, which are connected to tributaries and streams and creeks. And so the areas typically around those areas are wetland features. So it is tied in that way too, and you just have to be aware of that. Yeah, which, which is a neat, I, I came across a neat fact the other day that um, Canada has the most wetland area of any other country in, in the world. And that we are actually, uh, we actually have 25% of all wetlands in the world right here in, in this country. So neat thing. Well, Dave, we're gonna take a short break and folks, you've been listening to Reality Realty on Northumberland 89.7 FM. And after this break, we are going to get into some questions about setbacks. David mentioned um, septic systems and what, what's the proper setback. And we're going to get into different types of concerns you would have with wells and well water. <clears throat> and what are some of the solutions? So we will be right back. Welcome back. This is Northumberland 89.7 FM's Reality Realty with Dale Bryant. And our guest today is Dave Workman. And Dave is a hydrogeologist and someone who, who studies and knows about water. And Dave is helping us with our topic today. And our topic is titled Enough About Wells and Well Water to Quench Your Thirst. Dave, I got a couple got a couple quotes here on on water leonardo da vinci he's quoted as saying in time and with water everything changes so he's he's putting water right up there with time john f kennedy said anyone who can solve the problems of water will be worthy of two noble prizes one for peace and the other for science mark twain is quoted as saying Whiskey is for drinking, water is for fighting over. And finally, I got a quote here from Benjamin Franklin, who stated, when the wells dry, we know the worth of water. What do you think of those ones? I just agree. They're humorous, <laughs> but actually very, very accurate, right? Yeah. It is a precious resource that we have to protect. Yeah, thing, things to make you go, hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, ha I had to throw the whiskey one in there. I know, <laughs> I, I know it was pretty trivial, but I liked it when I saw it. So, anyways, uh, we were talking about before the break, where you had mentioned, you know, about the different depths of water wells, and and that, uh, you know, a, a more shallow well is going to have more considerations with surface contaminations and, and you mentioned septic systems well if we're looking at a a well we're likely rural likely not always but likely and and we're likely going to have a septic system so what what are setbacks when when we're talking about well and septic so setbacks from that perspective dale um septic systems are a source of contamination so as i had mentioned shallow bored and dug wells aren't sealed enough compared to drilled wells. Mm -hmm. So that's why when you're talking setback distances between septics and water wells, there's two different um, distances you have to consider. If it is a, uh, a dug or bored well that's on the property, the setback is usually 30 meters or 100 feet. Mm -hmm. In comparison, if it's a drilled well, properly constructed, 
that setback distance is reduced to 15 meters or 50 feet. Wow, so half of, half of that uh, distance. Mm -hmm. And and would, would setbacks change from township to township, or is that something that is, uh, you know, provincially dictated? Yeah, it's provincially. Okay. So, it, so basically, it's, it's the Ontario Water Resources Act, mm -hmm. and in particular, Regulation 903. That deals specifically with water wells. Now, the municipality, though, they'll ha they may have their own type of setback, and that means uh, setbacks between wells and property lines or roads and things of that nature, and that could vary um, between municipality and municipality. Okay, and, and could uh, a municipality township could they could they use the Ontario uh, requirements as a, a minimal setback could they even have their own local that exceeds that it can always exceed but it can't it can't be it, less it can't be less than yeah. that yeah okay and um, so acreage if you're looking at uh, building a home on an acreage is there do you know of any um, minimal acreage that uh, a property would have to be in order to build a home and have a well and septic? Yes, so we, we've been involved in this for a long, a long, long time. And the science um, behind determining the size of a, a privately serviced lot has changed and refined throughout the years. Um, but currently, um, if you're going to have, if you need to get it rezoned or um, show the developability of the lot, mm -hmm then you would have to do what's called as a hydrogeologic assessment, and that'll dictate the size of the lot. So based on the number of ones that I've done right now, um, you can't get anything less than one acre. So one acre is about the minimum you could build today on. Correct. Well, yeah. If, you, if you need well and septic. That correct. Unless it's a pre-existing lot. And then a pre-existing lot, Dale, it might be considered undersized by the criteria I just mentioned, right? Right, but, yeah. right, right. Um, now, one of the things with wells, I mean, a big thing with well, we, we got potability, but we also have the, the amount of water, which you touched on. And, and during those drier seasons, when some people will be, maybe their wells will run dry, or maybe if they don't really watch their water usage, they have the potential to run dry. What do you do if you have a property like that, or you're thinking of buying a property that you might, you might know has that uh, issue on those dry spells? What are some of the solutions? Um, do, you, do you just have to go and dig, an, uh, a dig a new well, or can you use any other sort of system to uh, help you out with that? Well, yeah, that's a, you really have to look at it on a case by case basis. Um, but a lot of times the flow rate of the well is either not properly reported or you don't really know what it, what the well can do until you have a problem. And, right. and say, say the well goes dry or, or, or something like that. So th the problem is, is the well is what it is. Um, and if it's a shallow well, there's really m not much you, you can actually do because the, the, uh, the, the tile volume itself acts as storage. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people, if their wells happen to go dry or they need water, 
throughout the summer months and they own those type of wells, you often hear them bringing in a load of water to replenish their well. Right. That, uh, that might be like a short-term fix, but you have to understand when you, when you do, if you deliver a load of water to that type of well, it's going to go out into the soil that it's actually penetrating, so it's not really holding that water. You'll mm-hmm. be able to use a certain amount of water probably the next day or two, but then, you know, soon after it's going to come back to the same level that it was when you experienced the problem. Right. And now I, I run into the odd house, and, and they'll have like a, an intermediate storage reservoir. They'll have something in the basement, a big plastic tank, like a very large plastic tank, where they're, they're asking their, their well to keep that topped up and, and, and then you pull your water out of that. So then what they're, what they're trying to avoid is, is large demands in dry times. They're trying to say, let's just get this well to give us a constant feed over the course of all time so that we even have a bigger storage. Uh, do you run into that? And, and what do you think about those uh, solutions? So I do run into that, and it's a, it's a good idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, I just ran into a situation a couple of weeks ago where um, the house was an older type house, and it actually had a, a concrete cistern in the basement. So and it, was a, it was a large tank. It was basically just a, a room that abutted um, the service room where the furnace was in the basement. And the chap there had all his roof leaders, all of them, connected to the cistern. And he, he was using that to supplement what he was getting out of his dug or board well. So if that works, then great. But I would, I would just challenge that situation when it comes to sell your property. You know, is that a negative or is that a positive? To me, I think you would limit um, the potential saleability of your rod, but I leave that up to you, the expert yeah. in that in that area. Yeah. So I mean, if I'm taking a buyer through a home like that, we're going to go down in the basement, and they're going to say, "What's that?" <laughs> because we're going to see this very large, um, you know, maybe five foot tall by by four four and a half feet square each way, and and it's an unusually large container of fluid mm-hmm. and uh, and then when you explain what they're trying to do there uh, you know what they they much rather they much rather not see it they much rather know that the well is just supplying them I mean but the 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 thing about it is maybe that house has it because they absolutely need it but maybe that house has it because they're just like preventative. They're just trying to think ahead too. I, I don't know if people would actually do that, you know, be so paranoid of water and, and, and wanting to be assured of water that they would install that if they'd never run out. I, I'm not sure. And that's, that's true. Um, we haven't been blessed with x-ray vision, so we do not know what's below the ground. Um, typically, I, I believe that wells are taken for granted if they perform adequately and meet the needs um, it's only when you get into supply issues or say say you start to get sick then you start thinking okay where is why am i getting these problems in my life right mm-hmm. and investigate it further that's benjamin franklin when the well's dry we know the worth of water right <laughs> that's true <laughs> that's true so you mentioned just now that one uh, circumstance where the homeowner had the, 
the downspouts off the roof going into a, a cistern, mm-hmm. uh, a reservoir. So that gets me thinking about um, quality of water. And, and so how, how do we ensure that our water is safe for consumption? And, um, and what are some things we can do to ensure that it's always safe for consumption? So to me, the basic tool, uh, uh, is particularly in this area as well, too, is to do bacteria testing. Um, now, th- that's a service that's offered through our local health unit. Um, so here locally, we're speaking in Coburg, so in Port Hope, there's a, the health unit there, and, and they provide uh, sample containers. You can pick them up. They're about 200 milliliters uh, in volume, and you fill them up. You, you take them back and leave uh, your mailing address and they'll, they'll deliver you the results. And they test it for uh, two types of bacteria. So total coliform, which is like an algae, and E. coli, which is uh, feces in, in the groundwater. And if it comes back zero, zero, that's what you want. So mm-hmm. that you can be assured that you're, from a bacteria point perspective, that you're drinking safe water. And what I'd recommend to do too is you get to know your well. Um, it, just like you get to know your home. Um, it, but if you do have a shallow well s- system, because of when the water table is high in the spring and fall, I'd recommend doing it at least twice a year in those periods of time. Doing a check on, on yeah. your water. Correct. And it's a free check. Yes. And, and in this community in Port Hope, that's right by the Arby's restaurant. That's right. Yeah. So you could grab yourself a nice burger. Yeah. Arby's sandwich. You say Arby's, I say McDonald's, but yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. <laughs> There you go. We have our we we yeah we have our preferences, I guess. Although I'm not, I'm not one that would, uh, you know, complain about a, a a Big Mac burger either. Um, how about disinfecting? Um, with people that take these tests, so that maybe they go and they take the test, and they see that uh, they don't have a zero zero, and so some of the people will disinfect their well. Um, what's the process of disinfecting and what are they actually trying to do? Okay, that's a good question. It's a very common question too. Um, basically, what you're doing is you're trying to, to kill any bacterial um, content in your water system. So what you should do, and the best way to look at this too because it all depends how deep and big that your well is because that determines how much volume you're disinfecting. But you're basically just introducing chlorine um, into the well at a prescribed uh, concentration. You're going to ask me how much. It depends, again, on the volume. So you can actually go to the Ministry of the Environment Conservation Parks website and look it up, and they'll give you what the calculations would be. But what you would do is you would pour the chlorine into the well. You would open up all your faucets in the home. And what will happen is you'll smell the chlorine coming through your, your faucets, and that means it's gone through the entire system. When I talk to people and they've asked me, asked me about this, I also remind them to, to disconnect your washer and make sure that that faucet runs through as well because if you don't, you've got a dead line there that's not being disinfected. If it's not disinfected, it'll just come grow back through the system and you'll have contamination. All right, in so washer dishwasher whatever's connected to your water system correct so you just run your system until you can smell the chlorine in the water then you would shut it down and let it sit for a few hours to do its thing Mm -hmm. so it's disinfecting the bacteria and then you're going to open up the faucets again including 
your dishwasher and your your washing machine your too. Your fridge water all that supply. Yep. yep. And if you don't run it the second time from your washer, then you're going to get a complaint for getting bleach on your laundry the next time you do a load. So you don't want that. Right. And and when you say add chlorine, some people just add their laundry bleach. And they can provide it doesn't have any additives to it. So mm -hmm. you can buy chlorine now uh, with like with different types of um, additives for aroma and stuff. We don't okay. want that. We just no. want plain, straight chlorine to right. do the job. And it's very important, too, that you don't be the source of the contamination if you do get bad results, meaning that you should take the same faucet that you're sampling previously. On the end of the faucet, there is an aerator. Mm -hmm. So it's a little screened part of the top. You should be able to take the unscrew that and then don't touch any area around the, when you take your sample. When you take the cap off, um, make sure you don't touch the inside of the cap or the inside of the bottle, the rim of it, because that may be the source of contamination as well. So that's how you disinfect and resample. If the results come back bad again, then I say do it again. So if you've got three consecutive results that show adverse water quality from a bacteria perspective, Okay, then you should say, okay, I got a problem here. Let's see if I can investigate what the source is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, it doesn't take long to get the samples back. And, no. and as I mentioned, it, it is free. And, and so the, the thing about that, what you're describing, you're, you're basically killing, disinfecting anything that's problematic on the inside of your pipes and, and different, uh, you know, pump and, and every, everywhere else. You're... you're you're not, you're not actually sending in a sample of water to the health department that sounds like the uh, smells like the Jack Burger pool, right? Because we're we're getting rid of that, we're running that water till it's it, that chlorine is out, and so we're we're not, we're just trying to kill on the inside walls, aren't we? That's correct. Yeah, yeah. it's it's really it defeats the whole purpose by sending in a sample that has chlorine in it. Because I, it, your guarantee is going to come back zero zero, but you haven't. That doesn't represent what you're drinking. I I don't even think they would test it if they smelt that at the lab, would they? Um, we've had cases where they have. They, they go through thousands and thousands of samples. Yeah, eh? so, so it it could happen, but yeah, yeah, yeah. What about a well as it ages? What happens to anything happens to wells as they age? Well. Wells are typically, they, they predict that they're good for 30 or 50 years. But again, I think you've got the experience too. We've seen wells that are much older than that too, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, you can't put, uh, to me, a date on it as far as the longevity of a, of a well. Um, and I would suggest that the mechanical parts of it, the pump, the piping, the pitless adapter, all of those things, they break down a lot quicker than, mm -hmm. than the well itself too, right? So you might get some... I'd, I'd say uh, calcification, which in the formation that you've tapped, that might diminish the flow of the well. But in general, it, it's um, it's like our bodies. We have to take care of them and do preventive maintenance as much as we can, eh? Yeah, yeah. And and that, and that well that I, I spoke of uh, just that I ran across this summer, that was brick-lined. So that's an old well. And, and it was producing plenty of water and clean potable water. So there you go. Uh, maybe age doesn't really matter a whole lot. That's true. And, and I concur with that too. I'm not trying to condemn 
all shallow bored and dug wells because you do run into situations where yeah it's they produce an adequate supply of potable water all right dave well we're going to take a small break and then we're going to get into some more specific issues that you could uh, run into with water and um, hopefully we'll even come up with some solutions on what you can do folks you've been listening to reality realty on northumberland 89.7 fm join us after this break Welcome back. This is your local real estate forum, Northumberland 89.7 FM's Reality Realty, with our guest today, Dave Workman. And Dave, you are a hydrogeologist. That's correct. And Good job. And, uh, and can you explain what a hydrogeologist does again? So again, a hydrogeologist studies groundwater. So that involves water wells. Um, we do a lot of things that have to do with that type of media. Mm-hmm. Um, before the break, I mentioned we're going to look at some specific issues that might happen with wells and well water and, uh, and maybe what, what you could do about it if there's anything you can do about it. Which there's always something you can do, right? There always is. There's That's correct. There's always something. So one of the one of the um, things I'm thinking of is clay, clay in um, in a well. I know I've been to a house before, and if you looked in the uh, if you looked in the dishwasher, you'd see a lot of white. If you looked in the toilet uh, the toilet tanks you would see an awful lot of white. This was all clay. And so that area was known to have a lot of clay. What, what would a person do about that? Because I think that was actually a tricky one. Yeah. Um, to me, one of the things you could do is actually put some sort of filter in the, in the plumbing system. So it's very common these days to call up your local plumber and ask him to do that. So you can actually get a, like a, either a paper filter or if it's some other adverse water that's coming in my tree, it can be charcoal, activated charcoal. It provides the same type of thing where it filters it. Now that's just, again, to me, a, a, a short-term fix. You'll always have to do that. Like you always mm-hmm. have to replace the, fil- uh, the filter depending on how much clay is in it. Um, you know, you might get a month out of it. You might even just get a week out of the felt, and you have to replace it, eh? So, yeah, because yeah. clay, clay just is sticky. It plugs up. It's, I, uh, what I understand was it, it was quite a nuisance to the, to a number of homes in this neighborhood. Yeah. I would actually uh, maybe talk about sand, too, because a lot of times, Dale, there are homeowners that have wells, and they get, like, flowing sand into their well. Mm-hmm. And what can you do with that? I don't have much to say about that except no. that, um, the problem that is that that's always going to occur. So the, the, the wells that we've been involved with, that they had that problem, they ended up actually replacing those which were bored wells mm-hmm. with drilled wells. Now, drilled wells, when they go down, they can actually install uh, what's called well screens, which are stainless steel, um, just like it says, screens. And the openings in the screens are actually sized according to what they're tapping into, like the formation. So if it's in, a, say, a, say, a coarse sand, they'll install, the well driller will install the screen so that it'll retain the formation and not have the fine sand coming in. 
because the fear is that without flowing sand, it can eventually plug up your pump. Your pump is right. usually put down so it's about a meter, two feet from the bottom of the well. Well, if you've got sand coming in, it's eventually going to plug up that well and you could get it sanded in. So I, I even know some uh, people that actually would, once a year, actually go down the well with a ladder and actually hand dig the sand that was flowing in the, oh in the well. So. Um, did that work? Yeah, it worked for maybe a short period of time, but then you were always back to that flowing yeah. sand situation. And and I'm thinking if you're trying to screen out something as fine as sand, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm thinking about how many microns that filter, like it, it would be such a fine screening yeah. th- that you would need a very large screen to allow enough water to... Um, come through that you mean for, like in the well itself in the well above? itself yeah well, and that's true because they those those screens are usually about two three four feet um long in length yeah and they're usually the diameter of the well too so if it's a six inch well that'll be the size of the screen too and they can actually extend that they can make it as long as you want they can telescope it too and so obviously the bigger the screen the more surface area so the more water it's allowed yeah. is allowed to get into the well yeah, the n- neat things. Um, how about some other common problems that people might uh, run into in this area? So uh, the, the most common is hardness. So y- you get hardness in, in the water. And mm. really, where's that hardness coming from? Well, it's actually coming from the soil. So our bedrock in this area is limestone. The soil is derived from the bedrock. So in, So you do have, like, high calcium carbonate and therefore you get hard water. Um, I'm not too concerned about that because it's actually good for you. Um, it's a nuisance, okay, yeah. right? Because you, know, you, you can get uh, staining or calcification in your plumbing and stuff like that, but, but actually it's actually good for you. Um, a lot of people, what they'll do is they will install softeners to kind mm-hmm. of deal with that. And the only caution I have for that is that if you're drinking soft water, just be aware that most softeners use salt. Mm-hmm. And, y- you know, I think you'd want to reduce the salt intake in your diet, which means that you shouldn't really cons- be consuming salt water, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Usually what happens is when we're involved, we make recommendations for a softener. We'll leave w- the cold water faucet in the kitchen, which is for consumption. That'll bypass the softener. So you're, you're drinking actually raw water untreated water right and and so that that leads me to equipment that people might have in their homes they have a well what what is some what is some good equipment maybe you don't even have a problem you don't have an issue but i mean in the past what what i'll say to clients is you know you can take a water test you know we're about to buy this home we're going to get um uh an analysis of the water potability and it could come back good but you know water sort of can change like the wind or like the seasons as as you've said and um, you know it could be good today but tomorrow not so good so what kind of equipment um, you you mentioned a softener for hardness but what other equipment could people install in their homes that would just ensure that they they continue to have good quality water 
So it all depends what you're trying to treat, Dale. So if it is bacteria, if you have a problem with bacteria, you can install a chlorinator, which will inject chlorine at small doses into the, your water system that will kill the bacteria and make it mm -hmm. potable. Or more commonly these days, they, you can install an ultraviolet light. Now that light is plumbed in the plumbing and um, it, it actually kills the, the, uh, the bacteria through radiation and makes it consumable. Now, it doesn't matter what you use, you always have to do maintenance. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times we're looking for that silver bullet and then just don't, and then don't like forget about it once, yeah, <laughs> once you've got yeah. it installed. So the ultraviolet light is another one of those silver bullet type things. And they recommend that if you are going to use a, an, a UV system, that you actually change that bulb once a year. Yeah, which which isn't a bad job if that's if that's protecting you from bacteria all all year long, is it? it, it it's that's true, but you know things happen. You forget, or you get lazy, and you know. Yeah. <laughs> you, just, you know, we're not like we're not superhuman that way. No, but maybe we can set up an alarm in our uh, in our phones or on our computers or somehow um maybe i don't know do some of these ultraviolet lights have timer alarms? Yeah, you can get them with timer alarms. I would yeah. imagine. Yep. I, I, I would I mean my sump pump speaks to my cell phone yeah so I know every time it has to cycle so I'm sure there's all sorts of technology oh, there. yeah I agree totally another uh, issue is iron mm -hmm. you find that common uh, in in our, in our groundwater resource in this particular area and again similar to hardness um, Iron is more of an aesthetic parameter so it basically it could stain your fixtures your toilets your mm -hmm. sinks your laundry. But health-wise, it's actually, again, good for you. So yeah. um, iron's good, and the mode of treatment for that is, again, the softener will take a certain amount of that iron out. So if it is in a treatability range, then you could actually use a, a softener to treat iron. Okay, and then I see a lot of particle filters uh, and charcoal filters will be in line. What do you, what do you think about installing those if you have a... A well in rural property well as far as uh, like activated charcoal it does strip the, the groundwater of metals and nutrients so you got to keep that in mind too right so again I don't think there's a silver bullet I think you should look at the water chemistry you've got and then make your decision based on that mm-hmm well records if somebody is interested in a home or they're living in their home and they, they've never seen their well record, how, how can you get a hand, your hands on a well record? Okay, so what you could do is uh, they are available, not all of them, but there's a good chunk of them that are available at the uh, Ministry of Environment, Conservation and Parks website. If you go to there and just Google water well records, they've got a very good interactive website um, where you can actually use an interactive map of uh, southern Ontario, blow it up at, to appropriate scale so you actually find your property and on that it'll show um, well locations mm -hmm. and if you just click on them it'll bring up um, the well record um, in PDF format. Now bear in mind it's not a fail-safe. Uh, the Ministry have done a good job because uh, at one time this wasn't available you'd have to actually make an application hard copy through the mail mm -hmm. uh, to their offices in Toronto to get it um, but there you're at the mercy of whatever information has been put into the system right so you really have to bring up the well record take a look at it 
Um, you'll note that they've been redacted, which means that the, the owner um, personal information, that's all been blacked out now uh, for liability perspectives. But you can try and look at the lot and concession, sometimes the municipal address, and narrow it down that mm -hmm. way. Th and then that's your assurance that you're, you're on the right spot. Yeah, you can you can have a good idea that you have the the right place when you do have it. When you do have it, when yeah. When you do have yeah, it, yeah. and and I I went to that site. I often use that site if if the seller doesn't have a record. I often look at it, but I want to look at it last night, getting ready for today, just to see how many ra how many wells were in Northumberland County. Oh my goodness, <laughs> you can't count them. They're just. I, I don't know if you have a line on that, but uh, that that map was just riddled with blue dots. Yeah, and part of that reason, Dale, is like, yeah, there's a phenomenal number of, of wells because today, again, I defined what a well is, mm -hmm. but we haven't really talked about other types of wells. For example, monitoring wells. So monitoring wells are usually two-inch mm -hmm. diameter pipes that are basically put in the ground to determine where the shallow water is. So for developments, even in urban areas like Coburg, Port Hope, and surrounding communities, th they're installed from a geotechnical perspective for designing foundations, for roading roads and subdivisions, things of that nature. Each of those require a well record. So they are sort of blended in to the whole database, which includes right. water wells and monitoring wells. Yeah, so, and, yeah. I, and I did click some of those because I saw some wells mm -hmm. right in the town of Coburg. Mm -hmm. And I thought, what? What's that well doing there? And then I found out, oh, that's not a standard well. Yeah, it's probably a monitoring well, yeah. I, would, I yeah. would suspect, eh? Yeah. Well, Dave, th this, is, this is really going to give this question really not adequate time, but is there anything you can, because we only have a minute left, is there anything you can say about community wells? O only that uh, community wells are, are subjected to a, lo a lot more detailed chemical monitoring because they have to, it's being consumed by more than one person. And there are community wells within uh, our, our, our listening area. And all I can say is that um, as, a, as a person of the public who's actually consuming that water, mm -hmm. I would feel confident that the water that you're consuming is of very high quality and it's being yeah. protected. Yeah, it's being monitored yes. constantly, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Well, Dave, thank you very much for joining me this morning. Uh, really informative. This will speak to a lot of people, people that are on wells, uh, people that would like to move maybe to the country and be on a well, or just have family members that uh, are on wells and, and would like to know a little bit for the sake of their family or their friends. So, yeah, thank you very much for joining. And, and we're, we're already talking about another uh, series in the future, aren't we? Yeah, looking forward to it. Yeah. yeah. All right, folks, if you have any questions or comments about today's show or for any real estate questions, feel free to contact me by emailing dale at dalebryant.ca. I'm an active real estate broker with Royal LePage Pro Alliance Realty Brokerage. Don't forget to join me next Thursday from 11 a.m. until 12 noon for Reality Realty on Northumberland 89.7 FM, Truly Local Radio. Until next week, folks.